Just how far should we go in our attempt to get blood sugar levels under control in the critically ill? You're listening to ReachMDXM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Focus on Pharmacy. I'm Dr. Charles Turk, PharmD, your host. And with me today is Dr. Brian S. Smith, PharmD, Director of Education and Clinical Services in the Pharmacy Department at UMass Memorial Medical Center and Chair of UMass's Glycemic Control Task Force. Dr. Smith is also a board-certified pharmacotherapy specialist and an assistant professor at the University of Massachusetts Graduate School of Nursing in Worcester. Dr. Smith, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. What are some of the most important pieces of evidence in support of tight glycemic control in the ICU setting? Relative to the ICU setting, a lot of the data really started to make impact in the early 2000s. Really, the first trial, which a lot of people will look at as a uh, landmark trial, is the first Vandenberg trial published in the New England Journal of Medicine in 2001, where they basically implemented a tight glycemic control protocol in one group of patients versus standard of care in the other, and they saw a significant mortality benefit from performing that intervention. What sort of glucose range were they looking to get patients within? In the intervention group, they started every patient on an insulin infusion if their blood glucose went above 110 milligrams per deciliter and targeted a range of 80 to 110, whereas in the control group, they didn't start the insulin infusion until the blood glucose went above 215, I believe, and they targeted a range somewhere around 180 to 200. So it was 80 to 110 compared to a higher target of 80 to 210. And they found a significant mortality benefit. Correct. Were there any other outcomes that they looked at? One of the other sort of surprising outcomes was a lot of significant morbidity benefit, reduced rates of renal failure, reduced need of renal replacement therapies, less polyneuropathies and myopathies, reduction in bilirubin levels, suggesting a reduction in hepatic dysfunction. So they saw a whole host of other morbidity benefits, which probably all contributed to the mortality benefit they observed. So you mentioned that there was a first Vandenberg trial at the, the beginning of the decade, and then there was a second one also that followed about half a decade later. What did they find in that trial? Yeah, that was one of the sort of controversies induced by the first trial, is that it was a primarily surgical ICU-focused population. They did a very similar study by the same research group, Dr. Vandenberg, and this trial was in a specifically a medical ICU population. The interventions were the same, targeting in the intervention group 80 to 110 milligrams per deciliter compared to the conventional control where insulin infusions were only used to maintain a glucose between 180 and to the 200 range. And this trial overall in the intent-to-treat population They did not see a mortality benefit, so the effect was neutral. But they did find that for those patients who were in the ICU of greater than or equal to three days, that they did see a significant mortality benefit. So the suggestion being perhaps that that the sicker patients are the ones who stand to benefit the most? Correct. And one of the theories based upon why people think glucose control might be work is that it's more of a preventative therapy so that it prevents some of the bad things from happening that can occur in the ICU, such as developing infection and getting complications. So it's thought that those patients that are sicker and that are going to be in the ICU longer are more likely to derive or see benefit in those patient populations. How might high glucose levels play a role pathophysiologically? Why are they, do you think, associated with an increase in in mortality? Well, that's one of the really interesting things is there's a, a number of different theories as to how controlling blood glucose may be beneficial in the critically ill. There are some data to suggest that hyperglycemia results in abnormalities in white blood cell function, with data indicating that uh, granulocyte adhesion, chemotaxis, and phagocytosis all being impaired 
in the presence of elevated blood sugars with the thought that once that's normalized, you're then allowing for more normal white blood cell function to occur. Another effect of hyperglycemia is that it's thought to impair complement activity. So the glucose may inhibit opsonization by competing with microorganisms for the attachment of complement. So if these microorganisms are not having complement being attached to them and they're being opsonized, it's less available by your immune system to deal with those organisms. Now, the pathophysiologic processes that you're describing, just so that we're clear, then these are not specific to patients with diabetes. This is anybody and everybody could suffer from these if they, if they go through a critical illness. That's absolutely correct. So tight glycemic control in the intensive care unit really doesn't have anything to do with diabetes. The whole premise around glucose control in the ICU that the stress of critical illness can induce hyperglycemia and that by mitigating or minimizing this hyperglycemia by controlling the blood glucose, you can improve patient outcomes. I think that some clinicians out there may be resistant to the idea of instituting a, uh, something like a glycemic protocol in, the, in their ICU, with the concern being too rapid attainment of glycemic control and maybe even hypoglycemia. What does the literature have to say about that concern? Yeah, that's an ongoing controversy. But based upon the Vandenberg trials, both of which did see variable rates of hypoglycemia, I believe in the first Vandenberg study, they observed hypoglycemia rates somewhere around 5% being defined as a glucose of less than 40. So despite 5% of patients experiencing a blood glucose less than 40, they still did see an overall mortality benefit. There are some other retrospective studies looking at hypoglycemia in the ICU where they failed to correlate hypoglycemia with poor patient outcomes. With that said, I think everyone would agree that hypoglycemia is something that we would like to avoid and we try to avoid. And so I think that's where having a multidisciplinary approach to these protocols, making sure to get feedback not only from the physicians, but also from nursing, dietary, everyone that's going to be involved, pharmacy, and coming to some sort of consensus and agreement for what will work for your particular institution is going to be very important. For those of you who are just tuning in, you're listening to Focus on Pharmacy on ReachMDXM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Charles Turk, and I'm speaking with Dr. Brian Smith from UMass Memorial Medical Center. We've been discussing the importance of glycemic control in the ICU setting and how patients stand to benefit. Now, Dr. Smith, you've been talking about some of the dangers of overzealous correction of hyperglycemia, biggest of which is hypoglycemia. What sort of statistics have been reported in the literature when it comes to hypoglycemia stemming from tight glycemic control in the ICU setting? Well, based upon three of the larger prospective trials that have been done, there's been a, a relatively wide range of what has been reported in terms of hypoglycemia rates. So the first Vandenberg trial was relatively low at about a 5% rate of hypoglycemia. Just recently, over the past year, there was a trial called the BICEP trial, which was just published in 2008 in the New England Journal of Medicine. And this trial was halted early because of excessive hypoglycemia rates. And hypoglycemia was defined as a blood glucose less than 40. And this trial reported rates in upwards of 12% of patients. So I think while glycemic control is important, data suggests that when we do implement protocols and are trying to do this, we need to implement various measures to minimize this risk to make sure that whatever benefits we are going to derive from controlling the glucose aren't being mitigated by excessive amounts of hypoglycemia. What is the ideal glycemic range? That's a great question. I think the ideal range is what will work for any particular organization. Based upon a lot of the prospective trials, 
most of these trials have targeted 80 to 110. So I think on an evidence-based perspective, people would have some good rationale for targeting to 80 to 110. Um, but as I mentioned with the second Vandenberg trial and more so the VICEP trial, when people have been trying to implement very tight control of 80 to 110, but doing so with a nurse-driven protocol in a more of a real-world setting, I think you're at least going to have to monitor your own rates of hypoglycemia. And we felt that trying to do 80 to 110 with a nurse-driven protocol in a real-world setting would lead to excessive hypoglycemia. And so we've targeted 80 to 140 to give a slightly wider range. And there are some retrospective studies or before-after comparisons to suggest that you can still derive some benefit if you maintain a glucose of less than 140. The Really, the million-dollar question, which isn't completely answered, is what if we compare 80 to 110 to 80 to 140? Is tight or better? Some data suggests that there may be a linear relationship there. Some data suggests the opposite. So until someone does that trial, we won't have the full answer. But for our organization, we feel that 80 to 140 is appropriate. It's a challenging goal to achieve, but in targeting 80 to 140, we've kept our hypoglycemia rates to about 0.2%, and we feel very good about that and comfortable with it. You'd mentioned your own institution's glycemic control protocol. Something else that I, I know comes up in the literature is the idea of adjusting insulin to a patient's needs. So there are a couple different approaches. One is adjusting by a predefined number of insulin units or a drip rate. And then the other is to involve multiplication factors and to take those into account in changing a, a patient's insulin requirements. Do you think that one is better than the other? I think that's another one that comes down to of what resources you have available and what will work for your nurses and for your clinicians at your particular organization. I think technically from a mathematical and a dynamic modeling perspective, a factorial type multiplying mechanism will be more precise mathematically because it can better account for an individual patient's level of insulin resistance. The problem is, is when you're in an ICU and a nurse is at the bedside caring for two critically ill patients helping to do dressing changes, assisting with a central line placement, and doing all the other things needed in terms of daily care, it can become very challenging to do complicated calculations and rely on multiplication factors. For that reason, we felt it would be more easy and safer and use kind of a titration table similar to what people might use with something like a, like a heparin infusion. And so with that, we understand that it may take a little bit longer to get a patient under control, and that's where we encourage more frequent monitoring and more frequent adjustments to get that control. So again, I don't know that one is automatically better than the other, but it's a matter of what's going to be able to be done safely at your institution given your own resources. Is glycemic control an issue that impacts patients on the medical floors as well as those who are critically ill in the ICUs? Yeah, that's a very good question. There are data from medical floors and surgical floors, so non-ICU hospitalized patients, that hyperglycemia is associated with poor outcomes. And so that seems to be a very clear relationship that's been demonstrated very consistently, probably for at least the last 10 to 15 years. The one piece of data that we don't, do not have is if implementing a form of controlling glucose in all floor patients actually gets you the same mortality or morbidity benefits. So that's a trial that actually is still to be done. So there does seem to be the relationship that hyperglycemia is bad for floor patients. 
but the data is not clear if controlling that hyperglycemia results in improved outcomes. What are some up-and-coming technologies that might help us improve inpatient glycemic control? One technology that's out there that is already available are these electronic algorithms that account for adjustments to the nutrition, the patient's specific factors, and can actually do all these calculations for you. The downside to those products currently is they tend to be extremely expensive for organizations, and they've not been shown to be superior to paper-based algorithms. Another technology which I think will be very helpful that will directly relate to those products is continuous blood glucose monitoring or non-invasive mechanisms of blood glucose monitoring. So currently in the ICU, blood glucoses tend to be monitored either by finger sticks and done at uh, bedside testing or through drawing off of blood off of something like an arterial line and doing that as a bedside test. The downside is that uh, it's a fairly manual operation. There's the test error and a lot of work for the nursing staff or patient care assistants. With a continuous monitor that could be placed subcutaneously as a sort of transducer on an A-line, which could continuously read blood glucose non-invasively, you can get more real-time results without having to stick people's fingers and go through that entire process. Dr. Brian Smith has been our guest in our discussion of the importance of glycemic control in the ICU setting. Brian, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. I'm Dr. Charles Turk, and you've been listening to Focus on Pharmacy on ReachMDXM157, the channel for medical professionals. To comment or listen to our full library of podcasts, visit us at ReachMD.com. Register with promo code RADIO and receive six months free streaming for your home or office. Thank you for listening.